Amen. Isn't it good to have fun? You can't find that on iTunes yet. Amen. Thank you so much. You know, it is fun to have fun to have in the house of the Lord. Amen. We can do this and we can enjoy it because this is the family of God and families like to have fun. So it's all good. It's all good. This morning we're con- continuing on in First Peter and uh, we're getting through chapter 4. In fact, we might be done with chapter 4 today. And it's only like our 30th message, message in, in First Peter. So he had a lot to say in case you didn't know it. But today we're going to talk about how God proves his love to us through maybe a way that we wouldn't like it to be proven. (laughs) God proves his love through judgment. Do you know that? First of all, do you know how much God loves you? You know, I was thinking about that, and it really kind of hit me. Do you know how sometimes you have times when the words you say, and you say them so often that sometimes you don't recognize even the words that you say. And I'm thinking that God loves me. And you know, and I just can't even begin to fathom that. I can't even begin to fathom how much God loves. We say it so often that we, so often that maybe we don't even appreciate what it really means. But God's love is so amazing. It truly is a mystery that we will never really truly be able to fathom. Even in eternity, even when we're with God in heaven, are we really going to be able to to grasp what it means to be loved by this amazing, all-encompassing, and all-powerful God? This father being that would look down to us and truly love us. The reason I think that maybe we have a hard time uh, appreciating that is because sometimes love, love can be hidden behind the difficulties of life. Love can be hidden sometimes behind the suffering that we go through in life. Because when I truly understand God's love, God's love is all about the best for me. The best. God wants the absolute best for you and the absolute best for me. He's not happy giving us anything less than his best. That's how much he loves us. And sometimes that love is hidden because God is putting some things in our life, allowing some things to happen in our life that certainly doesn't appear to be a path towards love because it would be a thing called suffering because God is using the suffering to bring about the best in our life. True love is never about a cheap thrill. True love is never in it for the fleeting things in life. Love insists on doing things that will last for an eternity. Love that God loves is never based on how much you can feel in the moment versus how much he wants to give you for all eternity. And he's willing to wait for this blossom to fully come to bloom 
before he picks it. He is a very patient God. His love is patient. It's all enduring. It's all persevering. And he is just waiting for his pruning process to be perfected in our lives because he wants the best in our lives, not just today, but for all eternity. Because do you know that heaven is going to be made up of only the best of people? Only the best people that have been pruned and that have been perfected by the love of God in this life are going to be in heaven. That's another concept to think about. Maybe we'll get there today, maybe not. But you know, when God takes people to heaven, he's not taking those that are not perfected by his love or perfected by his suffering or perfected by the trials of this life. He has taken only those that have come through that perfection process because he's given them the best. And the best sometimes is hidden through suffering. That's Peter's whole theme in this book of 1 Peter is how God uses suffering and uses judgment to bring out the best in us so that we can be included with the other best people that make it to heaven. And we will find that the best people that, that make it to heaven are not the one that look the part or can speak the part or that have the most money or they have the biggest Bible, but the ones that truly in their heart are committed to following Jesus. Last week we talked at length about suffering for Christ. Suffering is no fun. That's why they call it suffering. It's not a party. And we don't know when it's going to end sometimes. Sometimes suffering can, can prolong itself and can be so dark and seemingly so hopeless. But in reality, it's life. Suffering brings life because that's what God uses to perfect us. And as we can truly understand it or try to get our arms around that aspect, we might be able to see it for what it truly is. God uses suffering to perfect us. The enemy uses suffering to destroy us. He has a purpose for suffering too. The enemy's purpose of suffering is to wear you down, beat you down, make you appear so hopeless that you give up. And there are a number of people that have given up. But when we can do what we talked about earlier today, and that is that when we come into these opportunities or when we come into times where we are facing our suffering, if we can keep our eyes off of our suffering and eyes onto Jesus, the power of his Holy Spirit will come in and give us the ability to persevere. And he will get us to the end. And suffering then will be our best friend at the end. Because when I finally get to heaven and I look back in this life, it'll be a short, light, momentary trouble that the glory of God far outweighs the suffering that this world would bring when I allow it to perfect me rather than allow the enemy to take it to destroy me. Because clearly the enemy's got his agenda too. So Peter's going to talk to us today about taking, down, taking us down that, that deep journey into judgment as to how God will use judgment as well as use the suffering. If we do this right, 
we will find our life to be very rich and fulfilling. And if we do this wrong, our life will be even heavier in judgment and self-condemnation. And what Sparky and what Michael were talking about today, that ability to forgive ourselves, we're not forgiving ourselves unto salvation. Only Jesus can forgive us unto salvation. But we're forgiving ourselves. We're releasing ourselves from the debt of our past actions. So when I forgive that, when I know that Jesus is forgiving me, now I should be able to forgive myself. And when we, when we both forgive ourselves, when Jesus forgives me and then I forgive myself, well, now we're moving down the path where God says, now I got you. That's bondage breaking. That's how we understand this context of suffering and judgment and how God uses the judgment to prove his love for us today because he really does love us. Let's turn to our, our text, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17 through 19, and I'm going to read this out of the Amplified Version today. For it is the time, or the destined time, for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will, what will the outcome be for those who do not respect or believe or obey the gospel of God? And if it is difficult for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the godless and the sinner? Therefore, those who are ill-treated and suffer in accordance with the will of God must continue to do right and commit their souls for safekeeping to the faithful Creator. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we take this passage here that is maybe difficult to understand for a bit. And we pray, God, that you will help us to understand what you're trying to tell us here. And that we will truly surrender our life to you through the judgment and through the suffering that you bring for our good. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first verse, for it is the destined or the preordained time for judgment to begin with the household of God. Now, putting this in context with the rest of the chapter, we see that the persecutions that the believers were going through up to that point in time were divinely sent judgments or sufferings from God. God was taking an active involvement and an active interest in their life because he was allowing the suffering to happen. Persecution was coming to these people that were believing in who Jesus was. The suffering that God allows us to go through is a judgment of sorts, but it's used to purify us and to make us holy and to make, make us acceptable to God. And when we come through it, we will have the eternal rewards and the eternal peace that will make all the suffering well worthwhile. Recognize the outcome of godly suffering will be for the good of the people if the people will receive it as such. I need to recognize it that way. Now, Peter takes another step today by asking us as maturing Christians and perfecting Christians to, for us to, to, to get involved in this judgment process. Because it's not just enough for God to judge, even though he is the ultimate judge, but he's asking us to get involved and us to do some self-judging, some self-evaluations of ourselves. And if I can learn to do that, I will spare myself greatly when it comes to God's judgments. We, Peter, or I'm sorry, Paul gives us an example of that in 1 Corinthians when he's talking to the believers there about how we take communion. 
and the significance of self-evaluation in the communion process when we're sharing in the table of the Lord. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 31 and 32, he says, but if you will carefully examine yourselves before eating, you will not need to be judged and punished. Yet when we are judged and punished by the Lord, it is so that we will not be condemned with the rest of the world. So the Lord has his purpose of judgment, but he's asking us as mature Christians to take responsibility and self-evaluate ourselves and make sure that we're doing everything within our power and our ability and our control to make sure that we're lining ourselves up with the Word of God and that we really are doing the things that are pleasing to Him. Does that make sense? Can we accept that fact this morning? Does that, does that resonate with you that we do have some responsibility in here? Yeah. Yeah. For it is the destined time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not respect or believe or obey the gospel of God? Now, we know that there are areas in Scripture that tell us that there are two major judgments coming separated by a thousand years. There are two major judgments. One is for the believers, and one is for the unbelievers, separated by a thousand-year period of time. There's one you want to be included in, and there's one that you don't want to be included in. You want to be included in the first judgment, which is for the believers, and you do not want to be included in the one that's coming a thousand years later for the unbelievers. Because at that time, when we take that final step, that final breath of earthly air and that first er breath of eternal air, we will either be in heaven or in hell, and we will already have our, our, that first judgment already happened. And we want to make sure that the first judgment is one that says, well done, thou good and faithful. You've survived. You are victorious. See, and these two judgments are not going to be a surprise to anyone because God's Word talks very clearly about both of them and who they will be for. No one but will be able to stand before God and say, I never knew. I never knew. They may try, but the reality is, especially in America, especially here in, in, where we're at, they might try and say that they didn't know, but the reality is they just didn't care enough about it in this life to give it enough attention. So therefore, it's their choice because they didn't choose it. That's why Peter is saying here that it is time. It is the destined time. Right now, it is the time. It is a time for us to talk about it while we have something to do about it. See, this is where God is proving his love to us by giving us some prejudgments, by giving us some opportunities to judge yourself. He's proving to us. He's saying, guys, I love you so much. I don't want you to miss the first judgment. I don't want to see you in a thousand years. <laughs> I want to see you right now. Because if I can see you right now, I'll have you for eternity. That's love. God's proving his love to us by his, by, because he's giving us suffering, because he's giving us his judgments, because he's giving us the knowledge of that, that we need to take the time to discuss it and understand the purpose of it. If we wait and think, well, we'll get to it later, or if by us wishing it away that, no, I don't want to talk about that. That's, that's, that's too hard to talk about. I, I don't want to talk about God's judgment. Well, that's not going to make it go away. It, it's still coming. So let's just recognize that judgment is coming and it's something that we need to take seriously. The word 
judgment here. Judgment begins with the household of God. The word judgment, the Greek word is krima, K-R-I-M-A, krima, meaning judgment, condemnation, sentence, punishment. Judgment, condemnation, sentence, punishment begins with the household of God. That's how serious God is about judgment. God is just not playing games here. He's not just slapping our hands and saying, bad boy. No, he's saying, guys, this is the serious stuff. This is life and death stuff. This is death and eternity stuff. God is serious about judging people. And it's going to begin in the church. It's going to begin right here in the church. All of us here that are professing to know Jesus, judgment is coming here first. That's why he's saying if it's hard for you to accept this, how hard is it going to be for the world to accept it? You see, I know why God's judging me. I know because he loves me. The world doesn't know that. They don't have a clue why God's judging them. They just get mad at him, and they holler at him, and they scream at him, and they rebel against him, and they reject him because they don't appreciate his love. It's when, we've, it's when we've been forgiven of great things can we appreciate the God's love even more. So the question comes to us then, if God is serious about, being, uh, serious about judgment, can I be, should I be serious about judgment? Now, the question is, do you care? Do you care enough about the judgments that are coming so that you will live your life today that will give you the final and eternal outcome that you really want? Are you thinking far enough ahead? Are you putting yourself down the road a little bit? Or, are you, or is, your, is your eyes focused on the temporary pleasures of this world? Or how tired I am of working hard. I'm just giving up. I'm just going to lay down and take a nap. And I'm not going to think about it because it's just too hard for me to deal with. Remember, the only reason that God would warn us so strongly up front is because that he loves us so much that he wants everyone to choose him. He wants everyone to choose him. He doesn't want anyone to fall short. And, we, and, and, and the other thing is he cannot change to compromise our situation. He cannot give in. He cannot change so that we don't have to be judged. <laughs> he, he is who he is. God cannot compromise himself, otherwise he would not be God. So therefore, we need to recognize that it is time for us to stop twisting God's word to change it to meet our lifestyle. But it's time for us to change our lifestyle to meet God's word. The humanistic perspective is that, no, they would rather change the lifestyle of God's word. They would rather soften it. They would rather take the hardness, the judgment out of it, and just make it into a very nice, compelling Christianity, a very nice, easy gospel message. But if we do that, that's not love, because that's not what God is doing. God is God. Is God. God is sovereign. God loves us, and he's given us every opportunity for us right now to make sure that we're lining our lives up with his standards now while we have an opportunity. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 beginning at, or I'm sorry, chapter 7, beginning at verse 1, it says, Dear friends, we have these pro promises from God, so we should make ourselves pure, free from anything that makes our body or soul unclean. Our respect for God should make us try to be completely holy in the way we live. 
We have responsibility. It was talked about earlier about the addiction situation. We have a responsibility to say we want to be unaddicted. Yeah, for us just to say, God, clean me up, but I have no desire to be cleaned up isn't going to work. Yeah. So the same thing here is that we should be free from anything that makes our body or soul unclean. Our respect for God should make us try to be completely holy in the way we live. We try, and God gives us the ability. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not trying to say that. I'm not minimizing it. I'm just saying that we need to try. We need to give God our best effort. We need to say, God, I need to be cleaned up. Would you help me? And if we say that, he'll help us. We have the responsibility to choose God's holiness and his righteousness over our desire to be anything less than holy. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That's the standards that God's looking for. Now, how do we do this? This is hard, Mike, so how do we do this? How do we do this? Go to, let's go back and read Psalm 119. How do we do this? Psalm 119, 119 beginning at verse 9, it tells us, how can a young person stay in the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the joys, or I'm sorry, all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Guys, the more we stay in the Word of God, the more that we can take the Word of God as our joy, the more that He is there to help us get through the stuff of life. He never promised it to be easy, but He promised you that He would be there with you. God is never going to require something of you that He's not able to help you get through, just so you know that. We need to intentionally choose to live according to the standards of God's word. A holy purpose. A holy purpose. Now he goes on, Peter continues on in verse 18. And now this is where it gets a little bit difficult because he says that if it is difficult for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the godless and the sinner? Right now, when you read that passage, I know the enemy comes in and says it's hopeless. It's hopeless. If it's difficult for the righteous to be saved, then how in the world are you going to be saved? That's what the enemy's saying right now. He's saying it to me. I'm getting it right now. He's telling me, Mike, how can you preach that? How can anybody believe that? If it's difficult for the righteous to be saved, then how can anybody be saved? Well, God's word is very clear. It's not about the difficulty aspect of being saved. It's about our intentionality of our desire to be saved. It's not about me doing works that save me. It's about me intentionally choosing to believe that Jesus Christ provided my path forward. It's through the blood of Christ. It's my acceptance of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that saves me. It's my intentional purpose in living that way, no matter what happens in my life. 
It's not about how good I am. It's not about how often I come to church. It's not how often how, I'm, I, how big my Bible is. It's not about that. It's about my intention. It's about the Lord. It's about his, me receiving um, the, the, the drawing nature of the Holy Spirit to continue to enter in and continue to be involved. It's about my choices, my priorities, about where I place myself. It's about what I, where I put myself into that I can continue to be in his presence. And when I start listening to the lies of the enemy, he will start to isolate me. If I get to the point thinking it's too hard, I can't do this, and I start to isolate myself from other Christians or to isolate myself in the presence of God, I'm playing right into the play of the enemy because that's where he will take me and he will, he will pillage me and he will destroy me. But it's when I intentionally look at my life and say I am nothing in my own right I am only, uh, I'm only able to live for Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, and I choose that. I choose that. I choose that. And just keep telling yourself what you choose. Just keep speaking to yourself positive words of encouragement. I choose Jesus Christ. I choose the blood of Christ over my life. I choose that, and I rebuke the lies of the enemy. I rebuke the pull of the enemy. I rebuke the things that would take me out of this, into the world and out of Christ. No, I choose the things of God. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It is a cooperative effort. I choose God works. All God's given us is the power of choice. It's our choosing. It's our intentional purpose to be in his presence. It's our intentional purpose to be obedient to him, and then he does the work. Does that make sense? Can we grasp that concept? Because the devil will tell you the opposite, that God doesn't choose you, and you've got to do all the work. The devil will tell you that you're the one that's got to do the work. You're the one that's got to pick yourself up by your bootstraps. You're the one that's got to clean up yourself. You clean up your act, and then God will accept you. That's not what the Bible says at all. It's totally opposite. He says, come as you are. Come as you are, ugly and broken and dirty, and I will clean you up. That's Jesus' work to clean you up. You just come as you are. But just keep coming. Keep coming. Keep coming. Don't give up. Don't stop coming. Just keep giving in. Just keep pressing in. Just make it your intention to carry on. God draws us while we're in his presence and as, as, we, and as we respond accordingly when we're in his presence, then, then when, when we're out of his presence, we have that ability to know that he's still there for us. He never leaves us. He never leaves us. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father through me. I, I am it, guys. I'm it. Come to me. Come to me, Titus 3, 4 through 7. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing and rebirth, the renewal and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Let me ask you the question. Who saved you? Who? Yeah. Jesus saved you. Is it your works? Is it how good you are? No, it's through the blood of Christ. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the process. 
And that is, it is an ongoing, renewing process day by day. Day by day, Jesus gives us the ability to renew this process of relationship through continuous repentance, continuous um, coming to him and saying, Father, I, I just come to you for my intentional aspect of choosing you all over again. Yeah, maybe I've slipped up. Maybe I've made my mistake. Maybe I've fallen back a little bit. That's okay. God understands that. He knows that. He's not going to throw you away. He's going to work with you. He's going to pull you through it. That's the difficulty of being saved. Continue to work out your salvation in fear and trembling. God's all about that. He's all about giving you that second chance, that third chance, that 15,000th chance. He wants to have you saved. He's going to work with you. He's going to be there with you. He's not going to leave you alone. So where are we this morning? Do we get it? Do we understand it? Sometimes the choices required to maintain this relationship under suffering are the hard choices that we need to make. That suffering that comes that would want to wipe us out, it's, it's that ability to say, you know what, I know it's hard, it's coming, I feel it coming, or I'm right in the middle of it all, but I am not going to let that take me out of my conscience choice to choose Jesus. And you may have to say that, and it may be really hard to say that. It might be really, really difficult to say that. And you might not even believe it. But say it anyway. Say it anyway. Say it anyway. Don't give up. Don't stop saying it. Say Jesus. Say Jesus. Say Jesus. I need more. I need you. And with that, he will come and he will bring his healing power into your life. It's because of who he is. It's because how much he loves us this morning. Jackie, if you'd come. Oh, Jesus. Verse 19 of 1 Peter chapter 4 says, Therefore, those who are ill-treated and suffer in accordance with the will of God must continue to do right and commit their souls for safekeeping to the faithful creator. The choices are, I, are ours. But here's the deal, guys. You're not alone in the choices. That's why we come as a family. That's why we come together around you this morning. As we end the service and before we get ready to go into our fellowship next door, I want to give us an opportunity to pray one more time. I, I, I just don't ever want to stop praying in this church. I, I just want, I feel that that is the most important thing we can do is to offer continuous prayer for those that are hurting. Is it hard? Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Are you going to win? Yeah. You're going to win. Is it going to take some work? Yeah. This morning, can we pray with you this morning? First of all, if you have some sin in your life, you need to understand that God wants you to take responsibility for it. So would you close your eyes with me, please? And I know most of us here are probably fine. But the Lord still knows, and he wants us all to be honest with ourselves because he loves us so much. So this morning, if you have anything in your heart, that you need to repent of, now is the time to do it. All eyes are closed. Your head bowed. 
your heart, asking Jesus, search me, oh God, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts. See if there's anything within me, Father, that's wicked and lead me into the way of everlasting. Show me. This is your time right now to repent and just get that relationship with Jesus clear. Amen. This morning, I would just ask you, if you would, if you're in the process of doing that for the 15,000th time, would you just raise your hand with me and say, Father, I need that. I see the hands. I see that. Yes. That's where we're at. That's the process of renewal that we need to know that we are constantly coming before the Lord, our Savior, and saying, Jesus, I need your help again. And what that doesn't do, that doesn't make you a bad person. That shows that God's loving you because he's constantly giving you that little titch in your heart, that little tug in your heart to say, yes, I need to repent again. Amen. Now this morning, if we can pray with you, we want to open up the altars again this morning, and we just want to come around you and pray and intercede on your behalf. And I will tell you, this is where the power is. The power is in the church. The power is within the family of God this morning. The enemy would have us close the service out and go next door and eat and get happy. But true love says no. Let's wait. This morning, the altars are open. If you need to come down and just renew this relationship with Jesus, if you need prayer, if you want people to pray with you, just come down. And let us pray as Jackie leads us in this next song. In Jesus' name. stand and come forward and pray. Could we all just come up and let's just come to the altar together.
Father, we just know that you are so involved in all of our lives. We thank you for that. We thank you for the way you work with us privately and inwardly. And we just, ex we just express our gratitude and our thanks to you. We're indebted to you more than what we can even begin to express. We thank you for your mercies and your grace. Continue to work out, God, the fear that our salvation with fear and trembling, that we would have awesome awe of you and who you are that we would never allow ourselves to slip into the rut of just living the worldly system, that we would always keep ourselves evaluated, tuned to be the best that you would have us to be. We declare this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.